So Javier and I are working on season five of Criminal Conduct, which should be out in early 2024. But in the meantime, we kind of want to just keep things rolling and keep putting out episodes. Uh, We've landed a number of bonus episodes. And today, Javier got another really interesting interview. Yeah. And I'm really excited about today's bonus episode because we're talking with Major Garrett. Some of you might recognize Major Garrett's name. You may have seen him at the White House press briefings. That's because Major Garrett is a Washington correspondent for CBS News. He's he's always asking the president questions. But this time, he, you know, he had, like all of us, some downtime during the pandemic and wanted to work on a podcast, a narrative podcast about Robert Hansen, the American spy. Yeah. I mean, this case has fascinated me for so long because I was living in the D.C. area uh, and that's where this took place. And Robert Hansen was an FBI agent, but he was giving secrets or selling secrets to the Russians. And it almost seems like Robert Hansen was operating in plain sight. And if only someone would have looked at it and put all the pieces together, he probably would have been caught sooner. But you know, this new podcast is called The Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. And I thought I knew about this case and you thought you knew about this case, but I was, John, there's an episode that was really revealing because not only is this guy a spy, right? He's already living a double life, but he He's living a double life, even within his, the life that, you know, he, everybody knew, right? Like that he was this good husband. He was a man of faith, um, you know, anti-communist. There was, he was having a relationship with, uh, with a stripper for, for over a year. And it was a very interesting relationship. And also the things that he was doing to his wife and in, in terms of, uh, um, voyeurism. There was, there's parts of the story that I just didn't know and were really fascinating. It brought so much dimension to this character. I, I was aware of what you're talking about. And, and it's just a whole other dynamic to this case. And it's one of those things where we just don't know someone as well as we think we do. Yeah. Um, you know, on the surface, this guy had an impeccable resume and reputation and like the most trustworthy person you're ever going to meet. And below the surface, there was a lot going on that nobody knew about, including his family. Well, what do you say? Should we play the interview? Let's do it. So when we think about U.S. American spies, you know, we there's three that come to mind. And I've covered animal that's on my show and, and all of them, they always say, oh, this was the most dangerous U.S. American spy. Well, any spy that's giving away American secrets is probably really dangerous. But today we're talking about Robert Hansen. And why was he particularly so dangerous to this country? Because most of his treachery occurred during the height of the Cold War, when two dominant powers, the Soviet Union and the United States, were on a day-to-day basis, almost an hour-to-hour basis, fencing with one another over information to have a competitive advantage in the Cold War to make sure they knew as much about the other as possible while building these nuclear arsenals that could destroy the planet many, many, many times over. So it's not as if the United States government didn't collect agents in place in the Soviet government. We did. 
And the Soviets worked very aggressively to find people within our government to assist them. And this was one of the means by which they did it. Within that context, Robert Hansen handed over more valuable information over a longer period of time to the Soviets than after the collapse of the Soviet Union, the Russian Federation, than any other American. And he did so while working as a special agent within the FBI. And you're right. There is a kind of strange competitive conversation. It's almost like talking about sports heroes in a bar. Well, who's the best and who's the most and whatever this and that. So there's no consensus on who's the most damaging spy in all of American history. But there is no dispute that within the FBI, Robert Hansen is by far the most damaging FBI special agent to become a traitor against America. And one of the reasons he is and has that reviled status is twofold. One, information he handed over to the Soviets led directly to the execution of three recruited Soviet assets, meaning they were called back to Moscow and they were executed. Everybody wonders, well, how do you become a spy? You know, like, how do you introduce yourself to the Soviets? It does, you know, that that's the question that, that drives me. And he almost did that immediately after joining the FBI, right? Not very long, about three years in. And unusually, Robert Hansen was not recruited. I mentioned earlier that during the Cold War, there was this effort all the time to sort of pierce into yeah. intelligence services to sort of see if we could find somebody and maybe have a conversation mm-hmm. with them, take them out to lunch, buy them a couple of drinks, see if they might be receptive. All this probing of various intelligence agencies They did it. We did it. It was understood as part of this Cold War chess match. Robert Hansen was never recruited. He walked in (laughs) to a building in Midtown Manhattan, a place called Amtorg, which everyone knew in the Bureau was a Soviet front. It was a trading corporation, but it was a place in which very prominent Soviet intelligence officials trafficked, came in and out of. And he dropped off a letter. He didn't introduce himself. He didn't say hi to anyone. He didn't have an appointment. He just dropped (laughs) off a letter. And he was what in the terminology of tradecraft and espionage is a walk-in. Walk-ins are highly unusual. Walk-ins are sometimes regarded deeply suspiciously. Yeah. Well, I mean, for obvious reasons, right? Right. If you're walking in. Provocation, right. Well, you're revealing your identity. Exactly. Exactly. And if the FBI had eyes on that day, they would have seen... What is Robert Hansen walking into Amtorg for? Right. But they had no eyes on. So he did. And, and we're gonna and we're gonna talk about some of these risky, almost careless uh, behavior that he had throughout his life. It's almost like he was in, hiding in plain sight the entire time, right? And you you talk about that in the podcast, right? Yep, we sure do. And one of the things I'd love to people to get a sense of about this podcast, I I describe it this way. It's like listening to a spy novel. But it's 100% real, it's 100% reported, and it's mostly not me. It's the people we talk to who worked this story, who lived this story right up close. It's not me. Right. You You interviewed. believe me. Listen to them. And it's a novel that's in your head, and it plays out, which what I think is the dramatic way that you would want a spy novel to play off, but the added value is it's 100% real and it's the voices of the people who did the work or who were you were documenting history 
documenting history. You recorded interviews with 50 plus people, friends, family, former colleagues. I mean, this is, and this is a critical time in history too, because a lot of these people are older now. I mean, Robert Hansen himself has since passed away and he passed away during the production of your, of your podcast. So it's a very, it's a very important work, but it's also extremely fascinating if you love espionage because like you said it's real and this really happened and 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 if you made it up it almost and it would sound fake right some parts of the story i think would have been thrown out of a writer's room in hollywood right they're like no 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 come on that's 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 what that's too far yeah it's like when uh in a writer's room you always try to write the character into a corner and how is he going to get out of that situation that's exactly what robert hansen throughout his whole career he was almost backing himself into a corner and but you know when we think of spies we think of once you're a spy you're always a spy but it wasn't like that for robert hansen right there were almost these cooling off periods where he wasn't always a spy could you talk about that right so he had three different phases and this is really important to understand. And it's one of the intricacies of the story, which I think is one of its many hooks. <laughs> I mentioned that Robert Hansen was a walk-in that was unusual. What was also unusual. And this was even more unusual than being a walk-in. There's a terminology in espionage, how you handle, who's your handler, who's the person who's running you as an agent in place. And that's the proper terminology. It's not double agent, it's agent in place. Meaning you're someone high up in the US government and you're in place for the other side. That's what we regard Soviets who work for us. They're in place, they have a secure and high visibility place within the Soviet government, but they're working for us. They're an agent in place. So most agents in place are handled or worked are given orders and directives by the other intelligence service. That's not how Hansen operated. He made it very clear to the Soviets, then the Russians, he would give them instructions. He would do things on his time schedule. He would provide information that he he deemed would be valuable to them. And they could not give him very many directives. And they certainly gave him no directives on time, manner, or place. He told them where the dead drop would be. He told them how they could find it. He would invent the means by which he would signal them. And he had sometimes complicated instructions about this, but he ran himself. He was in his own mind and operationally his own handler. That Mm -hmm. made him very, very different in the spy world. And because he was his own handler and because he was running himself, he flipped the switch on and off. So he flipped it on and off three different times. So he went dark for extended periods of time. And you know what? The Soviets were cool with that. We're like, this guy is such a gold mine. We're going to basically let him do this in a way that we would never let anyone else run us because what he's giving is so valuable. Why, why would he do this? You know, <laughs> does he hate America? Is he doing it for the money? Is he right. doing it for the thrill? Like, what was Robert Hansen's motivation? So we have eight episodes in the podcast. We are putting out episode seven this week. Episode eight will be right before Thanksgiving. So for people who want to binge it and you've got a long flight or a long drive, do I have the podcast for you? Perfect. And we, we deal with this in episode eight. But I will say this. There are three or four central questions about anyone who crosses the line. First, are you ideologically motivated? Do you hate your country and love the adversary? No evidence of that for Robert Hansen. Not a fellow traveler. Not like communism's better than Americanism. Right. No. Matter of fact, 
part of his cover, elaborately constructed, was he was virulently anti-communist. He would basically right. tackle people and tell them how much he hated the godless commies. He's the last person you expect to be working last person the Soviet. you would expect. Yeah. How about money? Did he make money? Yes, he did. How much? About six hundred thousand dollars. Not an insubstantial amount, but so much smaller than he could have gotten had he demanded more. Everyone we mm -hmm. interviewed on this case said he could have raked in so much more money if money was the ultimate and overwhelming motive he would have asked for and gotten millions, not hundreds of thousands. So you can't say money's the only thing. Was it sex? There are a lot of honeypot cases in espionage. Weak men who are pulled into a foreign intelligence service by an attractive woman, then they're compromised, then they have to become a spy in order to keep their cover and maintain their existence. Nothing about that with Hansen. Zero, 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 zero. His infidelities were actually much closer to home and much more cruel than the garden variety fall for the pretty foreign intelligence service operative and become a spy because you've got no other choice. Right. So it's not that. Did he resent the FBI? Did he think it was over bureaucratized? Yes, but that was sort of later in his career. It doesn't explain how he jumps basically into spycraft almost from the beginning. He had kind of a James Bond fixation. True. Uh, but not so heavily developed that that could be the only motive. Did he have a rough relationship with his dad and think his dad was always belittling him and have a sense of not having enough confidence about himself or adequacy in the world? Sure, but come on. How many dudes don't feel adequate in the world? They don't become the most notorious spy in FBI history. Right. So that can't be the most e explanatory motive. So what we land with, it's a combination. It's a twine. It's an interlock interlocked series of motives right. and inducements that coil up inside him. And he's a very coiled, compartmented, psychologically complex person. And that's one of the things that we thought also was really fascinating about the story. Well, that's real life, right? Real life isn't so clear cut, isn't uh, Walter White, who has a clear motive for what he did, right? Life right. is and we, complicated. And we, and... Right. And we yearn for that simple answer. Uh, and sometimes in spy cases, it uh, it is one of those things. It's very simple. It's money. It's ideology. It's sex. But for Hanson, it was a much more complex set of motives, and they all twined around one another. I'm sure the FBI and and you you mentioned in the podcast that they they did a little soul searching after after Robert Hanson, right? You have to, right? You have to reflect, go back, and figure out what went wrong, right? Now we they may not have fix any of the of the problems that they had but they definitely did some reflection but you know if you were looking if you were in the fbi and you were looking for a spy would would robert hansen be somebody that would jump out at you like what what kind of information did robert hansen have that made him particularly dangerous so it's a great question and it sort of goes to the fbi blindness around robert hansen so he was never a field operative. Uh, he never cracked heads on the street or arrested bank robbers or engaged with drug dealers or did anything that was really cool in that way. He was always a sort of desk jockey early on FBI agent, an analyst, uh, an accountant type. Then he got into counterintelligence, but he never did any field work there either. He didn't recruit anybody. He didn't handle people. He was always riding the desk, reading the stuff that analysts provided. And that kind of frustrated him, for sure. He thought he should be regarded more highly and have more access to this glamorous so-called FBI work. So what did he end up doing? Well, 
Early on, especially in his early spy days for the Soviets, he worked in the budget unit. Now, why might that be important? It didn't jump out to me why it might be important. I thought, well, he's, he's just running numbers. He's just a numbers yeah. guy. So what? Well, kind of secrets was, are in the budget's office, right? Because he was in the budget unit. He could look anywhere through all FBI operations. It was a legitimate part of his job. So looking into every part of FBI operations, every program, everything they were doing in every vantage point, he could have legitimate eyes on things he knew would be valuable to the Soviets and pull them out of the system without anyone noticing. There was no means by which anything was tracked within the FBI databases. So you, you extract something, you take something out, there's no trace of it at all. And that gave him early and comprehensive access to things that were of value. Also, he was um, a wanderer within the Bureau. He would go into meetings he had no business being involved in. He would ask questions he had no business asking about. And he would share information recklessly about things he knew. So he was always gathering information. And most people in the FBI just thought that was annoying, nothing else. And he had kind of an off-putting personality. Uh, always regarded himself uh, as the smartest person in any room and he was gruff and sort of physically intimidating and he spoke with a low gravelly voice most people just didn't want to hang around him yeah he's not the kind of guy you're gonna go have a beer with right? no not at all no. not at all he was not glamorous he had no affect about him that was stylistic at all he was kind of a drag but mm -hmm. worse he was kind of a drag who always wanted to talk to you about philosophy and god and and the origins of man and like leave me alone <laughs> and I think one of the things that most protected Robert Hansen is most of his colleagues looked at him and said, leave me alone. So he's like, okay, pay no attention to me. I will be so annoying. You will take your eyes off me just because that's the most convenient thing for you to do. Plus the FBI. And if you go into FBI headquarters in downtown Washington, DC to talk to anyone who speaks on behalf of the bureau to do that, you walk down a corridor and what's in that corridor. All the movie posters about the FBI. There is no part of the American government that is more mythologized than the FBI. The FBI has a myth story that it's been telling about itself since the 40s. And there are all these movie posters about FBI agents and FBI crimes and this and that. And that's part of the psyche of the FBI. And part of that comes internally to we are so trustworthy no one here would ever disgrace this bureau or do anything to harm it. We are all super trustworthy. There can never be a bad apple here. Hansen understood that, and Hansen exploited that to the absolute hilt. And it, it is it is interesting, you know. Um, by the way, my friend Jerry Williams, she's a former FBI agent. She has a whole book devoted to FBI myths and misconceptions that are based on Hollywood TV and films. It, it's funny. It's it is a myth. It, it's become it's part of the American folklore, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. and and look, it was a, a part of a strategy, a part of a way to project its image. And look, the image wasn't completely invalid. There are a lot of heroic and excellent and well-trained FBI agents who do badass work. That's yeah. that's oh yeah. Those stories are real and their their abilities are true. But you can amp it up, and certainly the bureau has leaned into the Hollywoodization of well, the FBI. 
And if you if you consider maybe one of those motives that, you know, he had multiple motives, Robert Hansen had multiple, but one of those was that James Bond complex yep. and having that mythology. I mean, oh, without a know, doubt. And without being, a doubt. being maybe one of those posters one day. We talked about the cycles that he went through and he wasn't always working for the Soviets, but it, talk about the, the incident in October of 1985 when, when Hansen it back in. So, Cause so, you kind of have to give an offering, right? And that offering is of, and this goes back to what we were said before, this damaging part of it, the identities of people that were working for us, aggressively recruited, meticulously and carefully handled by the U.S. government, and Hansen just hands off their identities in a letter. And what that does, by itself, it probably would not have been conclusive for the Soviets to do what they did, meaning execute them. But there's another person who figures prominently adjacent to Robert Hansen, whose name is Aldrich Ames, who worked for the CIA. Aldrich Ames was also someone working with the Soviets, he had provided the same names. And right. now from two different parts of the U.S. government, two different agents in place in very significant places of prominence within the United States intelligence community, the Soviets say, whoa, this is absolute lead pipe cinch confirmation. We need to call these people back and kill them, which is exactly what happened. Aldrich Ames's information was not enough by itself. When Hansen confirmed it, and Hansen didn't know that Ames had done this. He thought he was doing it all on his own. Right. He thought he was offering his value. Look at me. Look how great I am. It was received that way, but mostly because it was confirmation, not because by itself it was enough for the Soviets, but it confirmed for them their deepest, darkest suspicions, and they acted on them aggressively. Well, one, one of the other things that really should give chills to everybody was that he gave up nuclear war secrets to, to the Soviets, including you were talking about in your podcast, the continuity of government, which is, you know, the, if in case of a nuclear attack, the government has a plan to put the president, vice president, the speaker, all, all these important people in secret locations so that after the attack, we could have a functioning government and what what was hansen's role in this describe that so that is the essence of this cold war chess game i mean what if things go absolutely to their worst possible place what would happen if there's a nuclear exchange between these two superpowers who are armed to the teeth with the most lethal weapons humankind has ever seen and the means by which to deliver them not just once but over and over and over again so the united states government had to construct a plan a plan to function on the other side of a nuclear winter now we don't know if it would be there'd be anything left to function or there'd be anything left to govern but the united states had to plan for that and so the plan for that was to move vital people in the government around, keep them as safe as humanly possible in the case of a nuclear attack so they could reemerge and continue to govern whatever was left. So in the grand scheme of secrets within the Cold War, on the non-technology side, there's nothing more secret than this. Nothing. Yeah, I can't. Hansen, I mean... Hansen got it, accumulated it over time and then handed it over. This falls into the category 
of absolutely unforgivable and horrifying that he would hand over this particular thing that most people in the United States government did not know and had no access to. And he hands it over to our arch enemy. And that's why he's the most damaging spy in FBI history. It really is. I mean, we could imagine what would have happened if we would have gotten into nuclear war. That that, that would have been it. There would be no more United States of America because... Yeah, I, and and there's this other question I'm going to go back to that we, we teased out a little bit earlier about the motive. And we go into this in episode eight. So while Robert Hansen was... Uh, in prison, he pled guilty. He pled guilty to 15 felonies and was given 15 life sentences. And he served his life in prison at Supermax in Florence, Colorado, the most secure prison in the federal prison system. While there, he wrote letters for a very short period of time to one of his friends, an analyst who worked at the FBI, named Paul Moore. And in episode eight, Paul reads one of the letters from Hansen, and in that, Hansen implies that he was actually doing something to mediate the tensions between the United States and mm. the Soviet Union, that he was actually this invisible. Invisible hand almost. This right? invisible like, hand that was tranquilizing anxieties that was giving the Soviets information that would calm them down and make them less anxious, make them less trigger happy. And so by doing so, he was this secret invisible force for good that he, and, and I describe that as this, God complex that Hansen developed about his treachery, that he was actually solving problems and making things so much better than they otherwise would have been had he not been handing over all these secrets. And we have a description from many uh, of the experts on this case. I'll just simplify it in two letters, BS. Mm -hmm. uh, they use much more uh, florid terms, but that's one of the things that Hansen began to tell himself. And I think if there's one instructive thing about the podcast that goes outside of surveillance that goes out of espionage and goes out of cloak and dagger it's that the most harmful and poisonous lies are the ones we tell ourselves yeah and Hansen it's just a way of he's just justifying yeah. it's almost like he he's looking back and correcting history in his own mind um because you know when you're faced with the reality this was the secret that was in his head right and now all of a sudden the world knows about it he has to craft the story now to uh, make himself feel better. But Garrett, Major Garrett, sorry. <laughs> I always think for some reason in my head, I always think that your first name is Garrett because <laughs> whose name is Major? It can't possibly be Major. How could who that names, be? Who names a baby Major, right? I, I'm just kidding. A father no, whose well, name is also Major. That's awesome. No, I love it. It's such a great name. You know, if you're fascinated by spy stories, this is a great podcast, but there's a layer and component to this podcast that I didn't even expect. And, and was this, you know, he had this secret life as a spy, but Robert Hansen, this conservative religious man, you know, who is boring by, by many accounts. I mean, he, he just very unremarkable man lived this other life, this other secret life. You know, he was happily married. Uh, a lot of people, paint them out to be this iconic, you know, American family. But tell me about this, this, this uh, seedy, almost sadistic life that he lived with uh, going to strip clubs and, mm -hmm. and also voyeurism. Yes. So we'll take those in order. Yeah. We'll, we'll take them. We'll chunk them out. Yeah. Right. 
So uh, you mentioned that Robert Hansen was a religious person. Uh, let me describe briefly what I mean and what you mean by that. So Robert Hansen was raised a Lutheran in suburban Chicago. He married his wife, Bonnie, who was a Catholic, and he converted to Catholicism as a part of marrying Bonnie. Not only was he a Catholic, he in Washington, and, and even before we got to Washington and New York, he joined Opus Dei, which is a very conservative part of Catholicism. And so he was a sort of full-on, aggressively conservative, doctrinal Catholic convert. And he attended Mass every single day. The family went on Sundays, but he went every day. Morning Mass, before he came to FBI headquarters. So this was a part of his persona. He often had a crucifix in his office, at least one Bible on his desk. And as I mentioned earlier, he frequently talked to people in philosophical terms about what were they doing that was in or out of concert or connection with what God wanted them to do with their lives, which could be very annoying to a lot of his colleagues who didn't want to have a conversation over lunch about what God wanted them to do with their lives. But Hansen did this with regularity. So he was a ritualistic and public religious person who went to strip clubs, interestingly. One in downtown D.C. No longer exists. The strip club is still there, but it's got a different name. It's called Empire Now. It was Joanna's 1819 club back in the day. And he met a woman there named Priscilla Sue Gailey. Now, in the retelling of the Bob Hansen story, Priscilla Sue Gailey is always reduced to one word, a judgmental, dismissive word. Stripper. Stripper. Priscilla Sue Gailey is a real person who is an exotic dancer who loved to dance and had a very successful career in Columbus, Ohio, in Boston, in Washington, D.C. In her early life, she was regarded as one of the most beautiful women, one of the most talented dancers that worked at higher end exotic dance clubs. But she was always just relegated to this status as stripper. And then the immediate sort of dime store novel assumption is well they must have had sex all the time right never did there was nothing sexual about their relationship at all and can we pause there for a second yeah. because there, there was something that you know really struck me in the podcast and the reason why i know and i believe priscilla is because she for a moment there she thought robert hansen could have been her biological father yes she did wow Priscilla Sue Gailey never knew her father. Her father left her life uh, when she was a very, very young child. And anyone who has been so abandoned always wonders someday if they'll ever meet the person who left them alone, abandoned them. And when Robert Hansen first came into her life and was so complimentary, so generous, so gentlemanly, so curious about who she was as a person and was not going exactly where every other dude she'd ever met five seconds into the conversation where are we gonna have sex he was the antithesis of that he was so gentle and gentlemanly and curious about her in a very organic sense she thought she wondered hey could, hey is, could this guy be my dad she finds out over time no and yet he's still generous gentlemanly courteous kind and we gave priscilla a lot of room to talk about this because She's never been afforded that opportunity. She's always, again, been relegated. Yeah. And I, I refuse to relegate this human being to that status. And I wanted people to listen to this story and pause for a moment to immerse themselves in the world as seen by Priscilla, 
not by all the people who just give her one name and one name only, stripper. And Priscilla describes this year with Robert Hansen as a year of wonder, the most amazing experience of her life. Never before had a man treated her so kindly with such respect and deference and care. And she kept waiting for the come on. She kept waiting right, for him like, to drop the dime and say, let's have sex. He never, yeah. ever did. Not only that, he takes her to Hong Kong for two weeks on a FBI business trip, treats her like a queen, like a princess, takes her out to dinner every night. They have breakfast together. She can shop everywhere she wants to. And she's just amazed by all of this kindness showered upon her, sapphire necklaces, this wonderful trip. As a matter of fact, as you'll hear in her own voice, at the near the end of that trip, she says, okay, maybe this guy's just too bashful. We're in Hong Kong. We're a thousand miles more than that away from his quiet, predictable life in suburban Virginia. Let me try to help him out a little bit. Let's let's see if I can crank this up a little bit and see if there really right. is some sexual desire that he's kind of repressing. And, and I don't right. want him to repress if he is. Right. Nope, there isn't. She tries to start something. He shuts it down flat. So sex is not part of this equation, at least with Priscilla. So we leave her room to try to figure out what this really was about. And you hear later in her conversation, this awareness that came over the years, many, many years passing, trying to understand in her own mind. And she comes to a conclusion that is very grim for her and heartbreaking, that he was going to set her up, that he was mm -hmm. going to use her as some tool in some espionage thing that she would have done willingly. As she says, and you heard her voice, I would have done anything for him. I would have gone anywhere, done anything, dropped anything off someplace, walked into some forest, did this, did that, whatever he told me to do, I was willing to do. And she now looks back at this whole time in her life as a grand con, a huge yeah. setup in which she was just going to be chum in some sort of misbegotten endeavor of Hanson's and could have been jailed in the process, maybe even killed or harmed. And she looks back on it as this heartbreaking deception. And, yeah, and those those fears are valid because I mean, looking me. looking real. back, very real to me. But she's the only person, or at least the only one that I recall from listening to the podcast that that spoke about Robert Hansen in a different light, uh, with a different level of enthusiasm. Like it, it's almost like she was talking about like a different person because nobody exactly. else described them that way. No so there was else, some truth to to that yes. relationship. No one else told us that his light, his eyes lit up with excitement right. and charm and that he was funny and engaged. Everybody swatted him away. <laughs> yes. Most people thought he was just a drag right. who wore the same suit every day in a white shirt and one of two ties, both of them dark, and had this sort of shuffling, uh, lurch-like gait. Right. Um, she found him to be absolutely captivating, and he was a different person around her. Again one of these compartmented aspects of his psychology of something about him lit up with her and she was entirely engaged. So that's the Priscilla Sugali. Yeah. Now that is the voyeurism star. All right. Yeah. And, yeah, and actually before, before we yeah. go on to that real quick, just because, you know, a spy, a con artist, um, any like a serial killer, any criminal really lacks empathy. And, 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 and so her fear 
that both things could be true. He could have genuinely cared for her and he would have totally set her up. I mean, because a person that's willing to give away our nuclear secrets and, right. and pretty much right. destroy America would never think twice of destroying this woman's life. And it also is very clear to Priscilla, and I think this is something that the FBI agrees with, she was a place to where he could wash his cash. Mm -hmm. So he gets her a Mercedes-Benz. That's a cash purchase. So that's cash that he doesn't have to account for. He gets her a sapphire necklace. That's cash. He gets her a credit card that's on a separate bank account. That's where he can wash away some of his cash right. and not have that's to true. keep it around and not have to open so many other bank accounts and possibly draw attention to himself. So there was another motive there as well. She doesn't know any of this. All she knows is that he's a special agent with the FBI who treats her like a princess. Yeah. And can't believe her good fortune. Can't believe yeah. how wonderful this particular period of her life is. And then it all ends rather abruptly. She goes back yeah. to Columbus, Ohio. She breaks the rules about the car and the credit card. He comes to get both and cuts her off and cuts her off without any empathy. Right. I mean, zero empathy. Her life begins to circle the drain. She makes some bad choices. Her mother, on her behalf, reaches out to Hanson and Hanson pretends like he's never even heard her name. Yep. And, and you know, that that episode for me was the one that really stuck to me. But there was another part of that episode. Let's talk about his wife, Bonnie, yep. and, and, and his friend, Jack. Yeah. All right. So Jack uh, is a gentleman named Jack Hoshauer who became best friends with Robert Hansen when they were in high school in suburban Chicago, right near O'Hare International Airport, about the time it was being constructed. 50s and 60s and bonnie is by far the most attractive woman hansen has ever dated in his life and they marry and hansen regards it as this massive unqualified success of his life bonnie often compared to natalie wood and for those who remember who natalie wood was and how beautiful she was if you don't look her up gorgeous for her time um bonnie was often compared with natalie wood so robert hansen has scored in his mind and jack hansen his best friend is serving in vietnam during the war so early on in his marriage to bonnie hansen sends jack a care package it's a big envelope and Jack opens the envelope up in Vietnam. And what does he get? He gets pictures of Bonnie. First with clothes on and then progressively with no clothes on. And Jack thinks it's some horrible mistake that, that, that this can't be what Robert Hanson is actually sending to him. Then it comes a letter following up from Hanson. Hope you liked the pick me up I sent you. So now confirmation that Hanson definitely intended to send his best friend nude pictures of his wife. So that's one aspect of voyeurism. Fast forward many years later, Hanson tells Jack, you know, you should really watch us have sex together. And Jack's like, what? He's like, yeah, stand out on the back deck and look through our bedroom window. And Jack does. Not once, not twice, but many times. Until he complains that it's too cold outside in the winter to watch what they both called the show. So Hansen 
being technologically adept as he was, computers and other electronics, sets up a closed-circuit camera in the bedroom, wires it to the, a television in the basement of his house in northern Virginia, so Jack, with all the creature comforts of the basement, can watch the show. And Jack talks about all of this on tape. I'm all of really, it. yeah, I, I was just blown away that you were able to get him to talk about this. And and quite honestly, quite frankly, I don't believe Jack's story 100% because, you know, he just makes himself sound like he just, oh, well, I was forced to watch this. Like, oh, I had to drive down and watch. Like, there's so much more to the story, but I am very impressed that you got him to talk about this on camera or like on audio and and just the, the fact that this went on and, and just you you just painted a picture of Robert Hansen where he, he's with this woman named Priscilla and there's virtually no sexual component to that relationship. Mm. And now yeah. there's this other side where it's very sexual, exploitive of his wife. She has mm -hmm. no idea. And even in the podcast, you mentioned that he would write blogs or, or yes. some chat. What? And you using his own name? He wrote what? open source pornography about Bonnie under his own name in the late 1990s. Now, did you ever get copies of those? Like, did, uh, did the internet can find, archive? They can, be, they can be found. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. I want to read this just because uh, I'm curious, historical purposes. <laughs> yeah. I, and of course, in the late 1990s, that was, you know, the web was not what it is now. It's not, it wasn't anywhere near right. as ubiquitous. And the idea that you could do this and it was, it, it, you could tell yourself it was anonymous, even though it was open source. Most people weren't looking. Most people weren't even in that world. So it was somewhat secretive, but still it was blatantly reckless and exploitive. And that's who Hansen was in that sense. And there is so much more. I mean, we could literally talk about this all day. They, it, and it is so fascinating. I'm so glad that you took the time to do this. I, I, I know I read a little bit about it. This was a kind of a pandemic project for you right it started then yes uh two years in the making and one thing i want the audience to know is it's not me it's my team right four producers who worked so hard all of all of us on this team this five member team have day jobs i have a day job yeah. it's a kind of aggressive high visibility yeah. day a job. little bit a little bit busy two of my producers are white house producers for cbs news that's a very much a full-time extra oh extra God. extra full-time job our senior audio producer Another person is a Pentagon producer and everything that was done for this podcast was done in our quote unquote spare time. And like you said, we did more than 50 interviews. We have 84 hours of tape, believe it or not, 84 hmm. hours of tape. And the great thing I hope people will glean from the podcast is you keep asking yourself, what well, did they get to that person? The answer is yes. Can they answer this question? The answer will be yes. I wonder about this. Will they tell me? The answer is yes. We went everywhere. We went everywhere. And I believe, even though this story has been told a few times, no one has told it as comprehensively as us. And it is, again, like a great spy novel, except it's 100% true and it's not me. It's the You're hearing it from the real people. Yeah. yeah. And it is a tremendous job. If this was your side hustle during mm -hmm. uh, well, you know you're like talking to the president asking the president question and then coming back and, and working on this this is impressive work well major garrett thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show to talk about yep. agent of betrayal i highly recommend everyone thank check you. it out 
you know, right now, as of this recording, we have six episodes out. You could binge all of those, get caught up. This is a yep. great podcast. If you love pretend and, and criminal conduct and, and that kind of uh, storytelling, this is it. But like Major Garrett said, this is not him narrating you. This is not an ebook. You are listening to real people that were part of the story. And it is, I can't believe the interviews you secured. Creative Babble.